Good morning and welcome to Desert Hills Baptist Church this morning. We're so grateful that you've chose to attend here our second service at uh, 10.30 this morning. Had a great service in the first hour. Looking forward to a great service here in this second hour. We continue in our series, The Process of Change. And today we're going to talk about the subject of glorification. So if I can have you take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 18 through verse 30. Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through verse 30. Um, I know there's all kinds of things going on here at Desert Hills, and we're so excited for everything that God has uh, for our future, all kinds of exciting things for Easter, all kinds of exciting things for the teens and for outreach opportunities. It's always good. We, we've been having here the last several weeks young people sitting up in the front rows, and it's always good to see them uh, in tune and paying attention. Uh, I'm so grateful for the work that Pastor Caleb and, and his wife are doing with the teens and the workers and all that's going into that. I'm so grateful for that. Um, looking forward to, my wife asked me to announce uh, for you ladies and all of you that have uh, young ladies that are under you, uh, there is an activity here um, just around Mother's Day. What's the date on that, babe? Saturday, April the 30th. So we got a little bit of time, but she's wanting everybody to get tickets and get everything taken care of. So if you are a lady, this is the one event that all ladies can come, even uh, zero years of age, all the way up to whatever your age is, amen. You can come and be a part of this and enjoy a wonderful time planned for ladies. A, a luncheon, right? Luncheon? A bruncheon uh, that is going to happen. You got the wrong guy up here, babe. But uh, a, a brunch uh, that will take place. And you can see my wife. She's got a table set up over by the offices where you can sign up and get your tickets here today. Romans chapter 8, verses 18. Now, we talked about the whole situation that change is never easy. Change is never easy. You could buy a brand new house. And there's something about that brand new house that isn't the same as the old house that you had. It's never easy for us. In churches, when churches change things like the carpet or the seating arrangements, I mean, sometimes in churches, that is, that is cause for a backdoor revival, a church split. Wait a minute, you changed the carpet. You changed the burnt orange carpet to earth tones. I miss my burnt orange carpet. And seriously, church splits have happened for no less than something like that. We always understand that uh, there's always resistance in change, there's tolerance, and finally, there's acceptance in dealing with change. Now, God has every one of his children in a process of change. We've talked about this here as we began this series. It starts with illumination, illumination. God uses his word, and uh, God's spirit illuminates the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel, the message of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and how that we need to have a death, a burial, and resurrection. And the only way that can happen is by us receiving what Jesus did for us on the cross. He who knew no sins became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the moment that we receive that truth and that message, repenting of our sins, we're justified. We're made righteous in the eyes of God. Nothing can ever change that position. And then once we're justified, we begin this process of sanctification. 
being set apart to become more and more like Jesus, and God has something for every one of us as his children. It's called glorification, and that's exactly what we're gonna talk about here this morning. Now, some may ask, what is glorification? Now, how many of you have ever seen the extreme uh, home makeover TV edition things? Anybody ever seen anything like that? Where you see this home, this old dilapidated home, a home that none of us would probably choose, at least at my age, would ever choose to, to go and take on a project of renovating a whole home unless I wasn't doing something other than that one thing. But you look at that home and you think, man, that is, uh, uh, that is, uh, that is uh, bones. Some good bones there. And you look in the inside of the house and you see drywall and broken walls and broken furniture and all kinds of things. You, you see a house like this. And most of us, especially at my age, wouldn't say, that's the house I want. Does the car come with it? Does it come with it? No. You see more pictures here of this house. You look in the inside and you're like, ah... I gotta replace the window. I gotta get rid of that lath and sheath and plaster stuff and put drywall in and bunk beds. <laughs> Elizabeth, you get the top, I get the bottom, okay? Bunk beds. No, most of us aren't looking at a house like that and clamoring to get inside, but when something like this happens, most of us would say, I can live in a house like that. I could live in a house like that. Oh yeah, I think that's a little better now. And oh, bunk beds, yes, I'll take those bunk beds. <laughs> but you know, that's exactly in some ways what God is wanting to do in each and one, every one of us. Now, these shows the host will come on and the home is in rough shape and then through a process of change construction crews and landscapers and painters and home interior decorators and furniture crews totally transform the home from the inside out that's similar to what will happen to all of us someday now right now as we experience this world we all experience the fallenness of this world a war in ukraine inflation Disunity in our society, hatred amongst our people groups, murder and rapes and abuse and devastation. And every time you turn on the news, it, it makes you mad, it makes you upset, it makes you croon because you see all the terrible things going on in the world. But let me explain something. There's coming a day when God is going to set all things right. There's coming a day. And here's how Paul explained his desire to no longer experience the fallenness of this world, but to experience God bringing him to the place of glorification. Here's how he wrote it to the, second, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, he's speaking of his own body. He knows that if his body dies... He says, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then he says in verse 2, for in this we groan. 
I mean, we're desiring to, to, to not struggle with sin any longer. We're desiring to not have sickness and pain and heartache. We're desiring that, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Notice what it says in verse 3. If so be that being clothed, we shall be found naked. Verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle, this body, do groan, being burdened. Now, every time we wake up in the morning, we understand what the groan is all about. Amen? I mean, just to get out of bed for some of us is a feat. Amen? I mean, you got a routine. You'd, you'd stretch in bed. Uh, uh. Okay, let me see if I can do it. One leg. Let me see if I can do it. Two legs. All right, let me see if I can lean up. Okay, that's a good start. We sit up. Okay, now I gotta stand. We stand and then we say, okay, where's the bathroom? <laughs> I gotta get there. But we all know what it's like to have our earthly tabernacle, our body grown. But notice what he says, not for that we should be unclothed. I just don't wanna die just to die. But I wanna be clothed upon, he says, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. He's speaking of glorification, what God has prepared for him and for every believer someday. Notice what it says in verse five. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also given us the earnest of the spirit. And then it says in verse six, therefore we are confident that knowing that while we're at home in the body from the Lord, I share Paul's sentiment that while I am home in my body, I am absent from what God ultimately has prepared for me. So how do I understand this? And what does glorification mean? Glorification means, first of all, in our text, believers aspire for the completion of their salvation. Verse 18, if everybody would look there with me, and I'll explain in just a moment. Notice the language here in verse 18. The suffering that we have endured, the suffering that we are enduring, the suffering that we will endure is nothing compared to the glory that God has prepared for us. I reckon, he says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Now, if we're truly saved and we understand uh, that the, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit illuminated the truth of the Word of God, we're brought to the place where we acted on faith and received what Jesus had done for us, and, and we were saved, we were justified. We then began the process of sanctification where God uses everything that comes into our lives to help us to become more like Jesus. Now, our salvation is complete when we're justified. We understand that. But God has more prepared for us beyond what we see, beyond what we know, and beyond what we can even sense. Uh, the preparation is beyond our wildest imaginations. Notice in verse 18, the word glory is the Greek word doxa, which means splendor, radiance, grandeur, and greatness. What God has prepared for us, we can't even wholly understand. It's something of splendor. It's something of grandeur. It's something of greatness. Again, the verse, verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, with the grandeur that God is going to reveal. Notice what it says, in us. 
God is going to reveal his grandeur, his greatness, his glory in us. That's what we have to look forward to. Now, so this means that every time you have a bad day, every time you suffer physically, emotionally, or spiritually, Every time your body breaks down, is stricken with cancer, cannot move, every time we experience the loss of someone we love, the loss of a job, the loss of a friendship, every time we struggle with our own sin or the consequences of somebody else's sin, I want you to remember that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory again that will be revealed in us. Now then Paul mentions that a foretaste of what God has done in us is has, he has give, given his believers his spirit. Notice, uh, the Holy Spirit makes a new creation of us the moment we are saved. But the Holy Spirit is also a reminder that God is going to do something more in us in the future. Notice what it says in verse 23 here in our text, Romans 8. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits, the down payment of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's how Paul explained this to the church at Ephesus. He explains this whole process of salvation, whereby the moment we believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Verse 13, in whom also, after you trusted, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The moment we believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit becomes God's mark upon our life. Not a seal like sealing an envelope, but a seal like a signet. Back in the olden days when they would send correspondence, they'd drip some wax on the correspondence and then whoever was sending that correspondence would put their signet in the wax and that was their seal, that was their mark. The Holy Spirit is literally God's mark upon our life. But notice verse 14 of Ephesians 1. The Holy Spirit is the earnest, the down payment that we have an inheritance to look forward to. Now think about that. If you've ever bought a house in the contract, you have to put down generally some earnest money. And that earnest money, whatever it is, usually 1%, is a means to let the, the seller know, you as the buyer, are serious about following through on this contract. And if something happens in this contract that is outside the bounds of this contract, then they get to keep your money. It's serious money. And the Holy Spirit is God's mark to let us know we have an inheritance where God is going to redeem this possession. He's going to change it unto the praise of his glory. Now, the moment we were saved by receiving the gospel, the Holy Spirit became God's mark, his indicator, his seal upon our lives. He, the Holy Spirit, is our earnest, he's our down payment, that God is going to do something more in those who are his children. He will fully redeem us from this world, its ways, and even the desires that we continue to have to sin. Now, Paul clearly understood this as he wrote to the Philippians, and he writes, Philippians chapter 3, he says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, Who shall change our vile body? Now, every one of us can understand this. It doesn't matter where you get in your Christian life, the struggle is real. Sometimes we get angry. And sometimes that anger feels like there's no respite. 
Sometimes we, we grieve to the point uh, that uh, God never really had for any of us. We grieve to the point where we're in sorrow of heart and our soul refuses to be comforted. Sometimes uh, we have a thought of lust pop in our mind and we know it dishonors God and we, we wish they wouldn't come into our mind but they come and, and we understand what it's like to live in this vile body. Paul says, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned unto a glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. So we wait looking for God to glorify and resurrect our bodies completely where they will be incapable of sinning and will exhibit the splendor and the glory of God. But notice verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of of our body. Now, the redemption of the body he's speaking of, he's speaking of the doctrine known as the resurrection of the dead. Now, we understand that when people die today who know Jesus Christ, their bodies go into the ground, their ashes go into a vase or an urn, and uh, whatever the state that body is, but immediately to be absent from the body, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is to be present with the Lord. So immediately that soul and spirit goes immediately to heaven upon death for a believer. Now, there's coming a day when the catching up of the saints, the rapture of the saints takes place before the tribulation period, when those bodies and those ashes are going to be raised and joined to the soul and spirit of everybody who's already died in Jesus Christ, and that body's going to be made something new. It's going to be changed in the moment, 1 Corinthians 15 says, in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be changed. It's not going to be a flesh and blood body as we know a flesh and blood body. It's going to be a body that is incapable of sinning, a body that no longer has pain, a body that no longer has injury. We're going to have literally the state and the grandeur of God. Not God, but a different creation of God. We will receive our glorified selves. And so that is what we all wait for. That is all what we look for. That is what we all hope for. And as sure as we're sitting here this morning as believers, we can have full confidence that all this will happen. So we wait, we aspire, and we hope. But notice what it says in verse 24 of Romans chapter 8. It says, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? In other words, if we can see it already, why do we even hope for it to come? We're already seeing it. But then it goes on to say, if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. You see, not only are we waiting for the conclusion of the process of salvation in our lives, glorification, but we also have the privilege to be a hope dealer today. We have the privilege to share with everyone that's going through heartache and pain and difficulty how Jesus can be their hope as well. 
Now think about this. Think about how many people that you know that are going through trauma. Think about how many people you know that are going through difficulty. Think about how many people you know that are going through relational stress right now. Here's one of the things we can offer them. We can offer them the Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ that will give them hope. A hope that transcends this world and all of its sickness and all of its pain and all of its fallenness. In fact, we have Friend Day coming up here at Desert Hills. You can bring your friend to Friend Day and they can come and hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. Not only does glorification mean that believers aspire for the completion of their salvation, but secondly, it means creation desires glorification. Notice the language of verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature or creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now it's interesting, this expression, the earnest expectation, has the idea of somebody craning their neck, somebody standing on their tiptoes, leaning forward in anticipation. Now, generally, I take off Fridays and Saturdays, and generally, almost every Friday morning, you'll find me on a golf course, like right at the crack of dawn, sometimes before the crack of dawn. In the summer, you'll find me on a golf course probably about 4.15 in the morning. Why? Because I want to get ahead of everybody. I don't want to mess with slow golfers. I hate communism. I hate the devil. I hate liberalism, and I hate slow golfers. Um, no, I'm just... just <laughs> But I, I play with generally my buddy, uh, uh, Frank, and sometimes I'll play with other people from the church and, and other people that are friends as well. And, and I'll go off on the tee and we'll, we'll hit some shots and we'll get out and we compete, my buddy Frank and I, every week to see who gets the lowest score. And every once in a while, we'll be competing. Actually, every time we hit the driver, we're all co always competing who's got the farthest drive. And so there's this one hole at one of the courses that we play where if you hit it hard enough, if you carry about 260, the ball will land on the top end of a bunker and it'll fly about another 30, 40 yards. So you can literally have a 300, 310, maybe 315 yard drive and have less than a wood or a long iron into the green. And so every time we get a chance to hit it as hard as we can on this specific hole, uh, Frank will usually go first. I'll let him go first to see what he does, see what I have to do. And he'll go and he'll hit a good shot and he'll say, yeah, I got you, Zamora. You're not gonna come even close to me. And I'll say, wait a minute, Frank. I'll step up, I'll hit the ball and I'll hit it and I'm leaning. I'm on my tiptoes, I'm waiting. Cover the bunker. Jesus, help me cover the bunker. And the ball will hit the top of the bunker and it'll burst forward 300, 310 yard drive. And then I'll look at Frank because I've been craning my neck in anticipation, I'll look at him and I'll say, buddy, who's your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> who's your daddy? It's not Arnold, it's Adam. Say, Adam is your daddy. <laughs> and we'll go back and forth like that the rest of the round. But you know, notice what this language is for creation. It says that creation is earnestly awaiting the time when the children of God, you and I, will receive their glorified bodies and no longer ravage the planet we know as planet Earth. Then it goes on to say, for the creature was made subject 
to vanity. The creation was made subject to pride and vanity. When Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, the creation was subject to the penalty of sin. Sin not only cursed Adam and Eve, it also cursed all the rest of humanity following them, also the animal kingdom and even the earth itself. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter three, God tells Adam and Eve, it says, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Adam and Eve lived in a veritable paradise before sin. All the animals were vegetarians and even the bugs like mosquitoes and black flies would leave us alone. Amen, they were not like the vampires they are today. I used to say upon moving to Arizona, praise the Lord, I've never been bit by a mosquito in Arizona, and then something happened. More people started moving here and left standing water around, and now I get bit by mosquitoes all the time. But before the fall, none of that happened. But when sin came into the world, all of that changed. And because creation has been marred by sin is the reason why we have hurricanes, tornadoes, typhoons, earthquakes, diseases including cancer, typhoid, malaria, leukemia, and every other problem that the animal kingdom has and the human race has. But the Bible tells us that the creature itself shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Creation is going to be itself delivered someday. There's coming a day when not only will we as human beings receive our glorified bodies without sickness, pain, and sin, but all creation will be changed and set free of the bondage that it's currently in. Here's how Isaiah describes this time in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse six. It says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Think about this, a wolf and a lamb side by side without the wolf wanting to devour the lamb. And not only that, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the goat, and the calf and the young lion shall be together as well. And the little child shall lead them. So you have this picture of this little five-year-old uh, here leading this leopard and this lion and, and uh, the wolf and the lamb and the goat and the young calf all around and none of them want to do anything to each other. You see, God is going to redeem the earth. But until then, verse 22, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So we'll continue to have earthquakes. We'll continue to have tsunamis. We'll continue to have uh, typhoons. We'll continue to have hurricanes. We'll continue to have cancer and leukemia and every other sickness and pain that has ravaged our world. Now, what does glorification mean? It means that believers aspire for the completion of their salvation. Creation will get glorification. And then thirdly, because... Believers have glorification in our future. The Holy Spirit assists believers while we're here on earth. Notice the text, verse 26 and 27. Now we have all been stricken by grief and discouragement in this world to the place where at times we don't feel like we can even pray. We've all been there. 
In these times, the Bible says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There have been times when something has been said to us or about us or to those that we love that is so hurtful and so devastating that we are hurt so badly that we can't even pray. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. One day, some of us may lie in a hospital bed with wires and tubes coming out of our bodies and will not have the will or even the ability to put even two thoughts together. But likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You see, the Holy Spirit as our advocate and our intercessor as a part of his ministry to us, at times expresses things to God that are in our minds and in our hearts, but we can't adequately express ourselves. And the word indicating the Holy Spirit helps means he helps when we can't do it on our own. He helps in the moment that we're weakest. I love how A.T. Robertson put it. He said, the Holy Spirit lays hold of our weaknesses along with us and carries his part of the burden facing us as if two men were carrying a log, one at each end. The Holy Spirit in these moments bears our weakness when we are incapable. And notice what the Bible says, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what the mind of the Spirit is because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so the Holy Spirit reminds us in these moments of our weakness and that ultimately God is going to do something amazing in us in the future. I like how one commentator put it, a glory awaits us that exceeds our wildest imaginations and the imaginations of even the most gifted science fiction writer. You and I are going to be creatures so glorious that if we saw such ones today, we would be fall, tempted to fall down and worship them. Because of the greatness of the coming glory and because of our weakness, we groan. But we are not alone. For we're surrounded by the sympathetic groanings of creation and the sympathetic groanings of the Holy Spirit. And one day, our groanings will be replaced by his glory. We see one last thing. Glorification means God is using everything that comes into our lives to prepare us to share in his glory. Now, as you look at verse 28, it's such a sad thing that a rich earlier and misunderstood. Having a bad day, my friend? <laughs> Keep your head up. All things are going to work together for good. That's how people look at it today. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But the verse means so much more than that. In fact, first of all, the verse is meant for believers. It says to them who are the called according to his purpose. And secondly, it doesn't mean that everything will turn out okay. 
Sometimes we will experience loss. Sometimes we will face cancer. Sometimes we will have a child die or a child get sick. Sometimes we will be in a tragic car accident. Sometimes we will face the difficulties of life. It doesn't mean that everything is going to turn out okay, but it means that everything will work out for our ultimate good. Now, what exactly was our ultimate good will be known when we are glorified as we're conformed to the image of Christ. Now, as believers, we should not necessarily view present trials and difficulty as ultimately against us. God, for some reason, has allowed those things to prepare us for the future revelation of his glory at the time we clearly see what we've always known, that in all things, pleasures and heartaches, experiences of tremendous pain, disappointment, and even joys, God works together for the good of them who love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, why do we have complete confidence that all things are going to work together for good because God has promised that he would finish what he started. We have the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest, the down payment that we all have something to look forward to. And secondly, because God has given us this testimony in his word. One of my favorite verses in all the word of God is found in the book of Philippians chapter one and verse six. In fact, it's right here in my pulpit. You can't see it, but it's right here. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, illumination, justification, sanctification, will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, glorification. God is going to finish what God has started. We see that testimony in our text. It says in verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. God will finish what he started. We get a taste of this glorification in the process of sanctification. And the more we surrender to God, the more we begin to look like Jesus Christ. The less we struggle and the more joy we have because we're living in the spiritual resources that God has given to us because we're in Jesus Christ. But no notice verse 29 again. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now before time began, God foreknew us, and he pre predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Then inside of the time we know as our history, God called us. The Holy Spirit illuminated us to the truth of the gospel and we responded in faith by receiving Jesus Christ. God's call came to us all individually in many different ways. Most of you don't have a testimony like mine. You weren't invited to church out of an Ozzy Osbourne concert. Most of you uh, uh, were saved maybe when you were young at a vacation Bible school or in a Sunday school or a children's church or in a youth meeting. Some of you were saved in different ways. But every one of us had an individual call where God illuminated his truth and by the Holy Spirit using the word and we got to the place where we received that truth we were justified and we were saved God's call came to us individually in many different ways but the outcome was 
the same. And every Christian is currently in the process of sanctification, but God, his plan is to bring us to glorification. Notice verse 30. It says, whom he justified, them he also glorified. The word glorified is in the past tense. Now think about this. Believers are spoken of as if this has already happened. Now there's coming a day when we will all retain our individuality, but we will all have the complete character of Jesus Christ. Now, I uh, see a lot of us as Christians at times trying to do something or be something. I need to be more Christ-like or I need to do more Christ-like things. And and I understand where that's coming from and I understand that heart, but here's what we need to understand. It's not we needing to do or be something, it's us letting God do and letting God make us into something. And when we let God make us into something and we surrender ourselves, as we talked about last week, as servants of righteousness unto God, then we begin to see the work even accentuate and progress in our lives. But God someday is going to give us all the complete character of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean to me? I want you to understand that no matter how much you suffer in this life, if you are a believer, God has something extra special for you in eternity future. Secondly, because of this, we have hope. And because of this, we can share this hope. Thirdly, God is going to redeem our bodies. No more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. And someday God is even going to redeem the earth. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit will come alongside of us in our difficult times, even when we're in the place where we can't even mutter words because of how heartbroken we are over something that's happened to us. The Holy Spirit will utter the words that need to go to God on our behalf. And then lastly, God is using all things that come into our lives for our good and for his glory.